Today on the Zabecast, the Little League World Series heads into the home stretch. And I've got a team from my area that could go all the way. John Rodas talks with me about coaching young boys in baseball, parental interference, and a whole lot more. All that plus lots of feedback on Notorious J-A-Y. And there's proof you can still be a one-man crime wave in the NFL and be employed. Your bonus, 40 minutes of me, is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Let's get some feedback in here. Zabe at yahoo.com. Feedback is never wrong. Never right. It is what it is. Feedback. Cliff Gage in LaGrange, Texas writes to say, Zabe, here in Texas, we not so affectionately have called Colt McCoy, former Longhorn, as Cart McCoy. We call him that because he spends most of his time riding the injury cart off the field. From a loyal listener in the great state of Texas, Cliff Gage. That's funny, Cart McCoy. (laughs) Funny, kind of mean, but okay. Here's one from Tony Dinga. Zabe, I know you're a casual baseball fan. I follow it a bit closer, but only for a couple of teams. Dodgers primarily and the Nats since they are local. I'm not a Nats fan, so I think I'm a little objective towards Bryce Harper that you're not. I've heard continually by the beat reporters, other hosts, local podcasters, and most recently by you during an interview about the Nats last week about Bryce Harper's disappointing year. I think the local media are a bit biased, and I'm not sure I understand the measuring stick. Look at his stats, or ask Galdi for the last metric. In Philly compared to his years with the Nats, this year is one of his top two or three seasons, and he still has a bunch of games left. To me, he's had a typical Bryce year, and I seem to remember one of his fairly productive Nats years was buffered by a great last two months after they were already out of it. So please, don't get sucked into the local hype about Bryce. He's playing exactly like he always has and is having an above-average year. Take a look, and I would love for you to push back on the next beat reporter or local baseball nerd who says he's had a disappointing year. Well, he's hot as shit since they brought Charlie Manuel back to be on staff. I think he like what six for 12 in the last three or four games bunch of home runs the big grand slam etc etc you're not wrong tony you're not wrong and yeah i'm biased but i wasn't the only one saying man this guy's what's this guy doing exactly that's what the local philly fans were saying as well two months ago but the season is long at the end of the year at the end of 162 many managers many baseball people say he will be what he has always been for the most part Now on to the feedback from Notorious J-A-Y. Brendan Fisher writes, subject, R-I-P-J-A-Y, Zabe Woke Pod. Oh boy, here we go. Zabe, man, you could cut the tension with a knife during your cap discussion today. I'm guessing you and Jay aren't going to head down that road again. You know, the heinous acts like the shooting death of Eric Gardner, by the way, it's, he was choked to death. Uh, or put in a chokehold and died. I guess there is a slight semantic difference there. He was severely overweight. He did have, I think, an asthmatic condition. Some would say he was still resisting arrest when they tried to subdue him. Others would say, no, I'm not getting into that. Nobody should die for selling cigarettes on the street corner, that's for sure. You know, but that's that. He was not shot. Oh, by the way. 
He goes to point out these are the outliers. They're not common. Cops have an unbelievably dangerous job, and most would want to do their most just want to do their job and go home. It's too bad Jay sees the cap issue this way and can't even give and take on it. Oh well, at least there's real football this weekend. Keep up the good work, Brendan. This one from Jay Bendland. Your Kaepernick revisionist history is appalling. Again, ooh, here we go. Steve, it's sad that you've forgotten that the petulant child turned down a $14.5 million one-year extension. Latrell Sprewell did the same thing in the NBA, never got another dime, and there are no claims he was blackballed. Listen, don't tell me about revisionist history on this. you got to go back and read what the Niners were going to do, that it wasn't so simple about turning down. He could have opted into a year, but the Niners still had an out. And I went digging back into this, and I think if you do it as well, or somebody will do it and bring me the results. He was never going to get that 14.5. They were going to move on. But that notwithstanding. It's not the same, but Kaepernick put himself out of the league first. Let's not forget that. Next, his first protest was him sitting on the bench, legs spread, towel over his head during the national anthem after being told he wasn't starting or playing. It was only later that he was grasping for an excuse that it became a social cause. How you, of all people, can let these facts lay silent is shocking. First of all, I don't know the exact mechanics. I don't recall them. I do know that he sat first, and then it became a thing, and then he went to kneeling. Also, there's a lot of facts that I, when I, in the course of a discussion I'm not going to necessarily bring up. There's you know, only so much in a short conversation you can have. Also, two things on Monday's show. Jay's blackness is his best attribute, but it's also his blind spot. He wishes all cops could act and be trained the same. Well, I'm sure police wish everyone they interacted with acted the same and listened to their lawful orders and requests in the same way every single day. They don't yell, scream, swear obscenities at them, act extremely disrespectful, run, drive away, etc., etc., also, look at the starting salary of police and sheriff's departments nationwide. It's about 35 to 50K a year on average. You are not going to attract the best and the brightest people when you offer lower rated, lower tier wages for difficult work. It's a simple fact. Thanks as always, Jay Benlin. Listen, there's a lot of very good people, smart people, capable people who do join the police force and uh, proudly make that much money per year. So let's not smear everybody with that, but yes. It is, it's a job that doesn't pay very well. Greg Peterson says, Jay, do you realize what a libtard does to your program? Like Jay, your shows are amazing. The banter between your sidekicks, whether podcast, especially on the DC show, and with Drew and KB in Milwaukee is the best radio ever. Talking politics with someone that is blind to the facts is painful. Here's a policy. Do what you're told by the police. You the man, Greg. Again, this is an oversimplification, and Jay, I don't think, is a libtard. Jay, I think, is a sneaky libertarian who votes probably Democratic. But politics aside, Jay is my friend. Jay, I can have a conversation with. And when when Jay and I disagree on something, that is not going to color my friendship with him. And the more that we can get to a point where you can listen to somebody and say, oh, I totally disagree with that, but damn it, he's got funny takes on Beyonce, uh, Mike Tomlin, and sports in general, and he's Zabe's friend, I'm, it's, it's going to be all right. The more we can get to that square, 
in society, the better. Rick from Muskego. He writes, Zabe, for the first time I ev- ever, I nearly turned off your podcast. It was getting a little too political for me. I know you tried steering Jay back on topic, which seemed to be a difficult task. Jay can't actually believe police are being trained to treat people different based on race or to shoot unarmed black men. I've been a police officer for 17 years. Never have I been told to treat a person differently based on race. In fact, I have been consistently trained to do exactly what Jay is advocating for, treating everybody the same. To say that the woman in Oklahoma had been a black male, she would have been shot, is ridiculous. What she did happens many times a day involving black males in Wisconsin, and they are not being killed. I love the podcast, and I love the way you cover many topics outside of sports, but this turned me off. Just my two cents for what it's worth. Officer Rick in Muskego. Officer Rick, thank you. I'm sorry it was uh, a turnoff, and yeah. I'm going to probably steer away from this in the future. Last one, Brian Jones. Jonesy says, Zabe, just wanted to commend you and Jay on the podcast. I think a white man and a black man should have these conversations constantly because the false rhetoric in today's media is ripping our country to shreds. I have so many race questions I would like to answer and discussions that I would want to have in this arena, but I have no Jay and no Hatch in my life. The Capital Golf Gang PS killed it again this week. I think only an hour showed up on the podcast, though. Here's an original Golf Channel programming idea. Run it like those stupid Bravo TV shows that are reality TV. How about this? 12 guys go to every Rota course in Scotland in 2020. Film, print, show. Ha, Jonesy. Yeah, Jonesy mentions that because I'll I'll mention it one more time. I've got two spots still open. Uh, We're teetering on the edge. I'm taking a a group of 12 to Scotland next summer for a tour of Rota courses that will knock your socks off. And I've got a number of people who responded via the podcast. Um, I got a guy from Philly who's coming as a single because he's like, oh my God, I've been wanting to do something like this. I've been trying to get my own group together. Nobody seems to get on the same page. And this guy's like, well, my wife won't let me. So uh, he was very happy to jump on board. Do I know him? No. He knows me, though. He listens to the podcast. So I feel like we are brothers already, and that's the beautiful thing. If you want more information, email me, zabe at yahoo.com, or you can go to the website, drunktommorris.com. That's drunktommorris.com. You can see it all there. Look, this is a trip of a lifetime. This is not a discount trip. It's not a bargain trip. It's a trip in which you say to yourself, I love golf. I love the history of it. I'm willing to splurge. I have some money. I've saved diligently. I'm at a stage in life where, hey, you're looking ahead down the road. You're like, I can't take it all with me, so what the heck? That's what it's for. It's not for, oh, oh my God, that's so much cost? Jeez. No. It's a, it's a, it is a belter, as my man Ronnie Pook, our tour operator, says. He's always impressed when I say, okay, can we play here, here, and here? He's like, uh, yeah, we can do that. And I said, okay, can we slip this in here? He goes, mm, yeah, I'll try. Okay, we're good. You got a belter of a trip, he says. And I said, that's the only way to do it. All right, let's talk Little League Baseball with my man, Johnny Rodas. All right, since I got him in studio today, I figured I'd talk to my man, John Ronas of the Ronas Academy. And more importantly, John Ronas of... What little league team did we play for way back in the day? Oh, I think we played for maybe B and M Exxon or uh, it was a green shirt. 
I can't remember. BMX on was a I blue don't shirt. know. Yeah, it was not. I know I didn't play for them. I'll have no. to look up the picture. But uh, longtime buddy of mine from uh, long ago. And, of course, you can hear him on the Capital Golf Gang uh, every Sunday on the Team 980. John, in addition to being a top flight golf instructor, is a guy who has been through the rigors of coaching Little League Baseball. You're out of the business now because your boys are through the system. Yep. They're too old. But I remember once you told me, just with a with a rueful sort of smile on your face and a uh, a bit of a resignation in your voice that this is just the way it is, you said, you know, Zabe, I put in probably 500 hours of free labor into this endeavor this year. Two people said thank you yeah. at the end. Two parents said thank you for doing all it's this. Fascinating. And that was it, of a team of about 12 to 15 kids. Absolutely fascinating. So Little League Baseball, as I have two sons who certainly came up through Little League and played at a pretty high level, and I also coached all-star teams, which I think we'll get into with, with what's going on at um, Williamsport. Yeah. Um, and then I was also president of a travel organization, which I think we should distinguish between that is different from what we're dealing with at, at Williamsport. Okay. And so um, I've been really deep in the depths of dealing with Little League and bureaucracy and all-star teams and parents and everything else. And it's a it's a wild, wild thing out there to, to deal with. And it's great for the kids if we can keep it out of their eyes and hair. Um, but it is a grind when it comes down to it for coaches who are coaching kids. Did you, did you enjoy it, though? I know that. I enjoyed every bit of it. You did. I enjoyed every even, single bit of it. Even the parents who I'm sure were not only directly politicking you for this, that, or the other, but I'm sure the parents who were back channel undermining you by, totally. by way of emails and whispering in the stands. I can only imagine what youth coaches put up with these days with parents who all think their kids are the next star pro out there being assholes behind the scene about this coach doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. There's only one shortstop. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and you got All 11 these... parents out there that think their kids should be batting third and playing shortstop. Is shortstop still the <laughs> money position in Little League? Because I know yeah. it was when I was a kid. Look, it's still when you go to colleges, the college coaches will say, I have 11 shortstops that I recruit <laughs> and, you know, 12 pitchers. And a couple catchers. So, yeah, it still is. It's the, it's the person and why, who's probably the most athletic. And why is that? Because more balls are hit to shortstop in Little League for than right-handed, else? You know, it's a right-handed game predominantly. Yeah. So, yeah, shortstop plus yeah. the range and the arm strength and everything. It's usually just the best athlete who's, you know, hey, you'll play shortstop. Right. You'll pitch, you'll play shortstop. So, yeah, the, the honest answer is, Dave, and this is really, I think, a little bit rough to say, I don't care about the parents. No, that's I good. Don't you don't care about the parents. I think you have to not care about the parents. Even to, I coach the the golf team at Loudoun County High School now, and I certainly care about the parents. Let me not say that, but I don't really care about their opinions on right. on how we're doing things because I hope they know. I hope they know, and I hope I always keep this. My only concern is the welfare of those kids. And in high school, the kids are you know they're they're young adults. But when you're talking 10, well, I coached a 9-year-old all-star team, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, you really have to make sure that the only thing you care about is those kids. Right. Because they're at that age where they need, 
you know, they're getting the 12 year olds are getting to the point where they're not listening to their parents that much, but they'll listen to every word you say. And that's why it's so important to say those things that are best for them to hear at that age. By the way, as I recall, Little League playing for Mort's Bootery when I was 11 oh, and 12 sure. years old. Did you play for Hampton? No, he was uh, he was some other team. McLean Hardware, I want to say. No, he was Mort's because my brother played for Mort's. Uh, well, then he, he moved off since then. He'd been traded. I played for the great Frank Catula. Wow. Who was our coach. Who had a, <laughs> this was my great memory from Little League was, you know, I pitched and I played shortstop. I was a light hitter, though. Never hit a home run. Unfortunately, pipe cleaner arms, little twelve-year-old boy arms, afraid of getting hit. So I was not—I was a minus at the plate, but I was a plus glove, and I was a good strike-throwing pitcher. Not dominant stuff, but I did have a good curveball that me and the boys in the neighborhood had developed by throwing tennis balls. Sure, I mean, like you—can you imagine a worse activity for your arm than trying to curve a tennis ball with no seams? Well, let me ask you this: Did anyone that you grew up with? Do you remember anyone having arm trouble? No. We went from playing baseball at practice for two hours to playing wiffle ball and throwing as hard as we could to throwing tennis <laughs> balls to eventually throwing rocks at people. So our arms were constantly in or use. At cars. I remember no one yeah. having an arm problem. I, I, I agree. Do, do kids have arm problems now? All the time. Really? So I'm not 12, sure. 12, 13, 14-year-old oh, kids. Oh, my goodness. Shut wow. it down for six weeks. Shut it down for six months. Top, you know, of course, I wasn't, I, getting, I wasn't getting $70 an hour private training at a facility in the suburbs, indoor mounds, like I'm sure they are now. You also were playing basketball in the winter. True. Right? So you took a break well, from that's, throwing something. Right. That's why it was. Yeah. 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 Of so course. They, they get arm troubles now because they're, they're over-concentrating on the sport. So um, anyway, so as I recall Little League, it went something like this position by position. If you were a good fielder, good with a glove, you'd play shortstop with a decent enough arm. If you were the fat kid, you played first. If you were the quiet kid who was okay, you played second. If you were the kid who the coach didn't mind possibly getting decapitated, you played third Mm -hmm. because that was so close to the plate. And then outfielder, center field would usually be your fastest guy who was an okay glove. Left field was just whoever would fit that spot. And right field was the poor kid picking daisies where you said, who is our weakest guy? Let's bury him in right field. Is that the basic now layout in Little League these days? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's a lefty at first because it's the only position you play or the outfield. Okay. Right. A lefty first. The fat kid's at third. Okay. He's just a, he's a goalie over yeah. there. <laughs> um, and then I think you called everything else. You need some speed in center field. Okay. So I'm blissfully ignorant of the exact format of the Little League World Series in Williamsport, PA. Meaning, how many teams? How many regions? How many games? What's the bracket? How much elimination? Blah, blah, blah. Explain it to me like I'm a child. Okay, well, my honest answer for that is I have no idea either once it gets to that point. But I can tell you how it gets to that point. Okay. So the difference is what people really have to understand are these are all-star teams. So for Central Out and Little League, we had an American and a National League all-star team. They weren't just the best players. We put them on one team or the other. You had to play on an American League team during the season. The Yankees, the Red right. Sox. These were the American League teams. All those kids were on an all-star team. All the other kids who played in the National League were on another all-star team. So this isn't a travel team. 
This isn't a, a group all-star team. These are the kids who played in those leagues during the season. They form an all-star team. Okay. Loudoun South, I believe, only had one league. So they had all the kids could come together. So wait, there's a Loudoun South and a Loudoun North? There's Loudoun South, Little League, and there's Central Loudoun, Little League, and there's Western Loudoun, I uh, believe, Little League, and Dulles. There's just the name of the Little League. And so, then they so send a team. How do Little League leagues form and and, and establish territory it's it, i don't think you see them as much anymore but like loud and south is relatively new because that area of aldi that yeah for those who don't know in northern virginia here we've had a lot of um housing. expansion yeah. okay. and housing in these towns become these these developments become towns so in other words as demand for kids signing up for little league increases they may say, hey, we've got enough to form a new league Correct. in our particular area. Correct. And, and the, you petition the Board of Governors of Little League Baseball, which is an correct. official trademark brand, and Big they've time. got their own set of rules and regulations. Yep. They're the ones that say, okay, you're approved. You can start an eight-team league or whatever Perfect. It is. Okay. And then you get into a district, and then the district will have their competition. So the district will have Central Loud and Loud and South, blah, blah, blah. They'll all come together. It'll have like four or five different Correct. leagues. And then they'll send someone from there to regionals and or to states. I'm sorry. Then states will send it to regionals. Now, you got to win all these games wow. with either, depending on the year, actually, uh, uh, single elimination or double elimination. So you win the state. So Central, uh, so Loud and South won the state of Virginia. Right. Then they go to the regionals, and they finally went through the regionals, and they beat Georgia in the final game of the regionals to go to now what they represent, the Southeast. <laughs> so that team now represents the Southeast. They're playing Barrington, Rhode Island in the Northeast, and they're playing the West or once Southwest. You, once you win the region, i.e. the Southeast, you're into the official Little League World Series, ding. Correct. In Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Correct. Which is easily one of the coolest things an 11 or 12-year-old boy or girl could possibly do. Yep, and now they're living in the barracks, and they're staying there at Williamsport, and they're meeting all the teams from all over the world, certainly over the country because the English, the barrier language, but they're meeting kids from all over the world, and it's got to be one of the greatest experiences these kids will ever get. So then we have the regions, and the regions, they're, they're probably eight regions, I would think, and now the regions come down to build the national champion is that what it is i don't know Eight if regions. you can see it i'm turning my yeah. monitor towards you but pretty much it's boy is it a complicated bracket yep. holy crap there's as much there's 30 there's 30 total games culminating in the little league baseball world series final which is on the 25th of august yeah so eventually the world is on one bracket and the united states is on the other so the uh, world is playing each other to find a world uh, or a non-United States champion, and then the United States is playing their New England, Southeast, uh, whatever it is, Midwest, and they all come together. And so we have a United States team that represents the United States. They are the United States champions. Huge, huge honor. And then they will play the world champion. There also appears to be a, a loser's bracket down here. So it where, must be double elimination once right, you get so, to this point. So there's a loser's bracket. So the U.S. brackets are New England, or the U.S. regions are New England, Southeast, Midwest, Great Lakes, Southwest, West, 
Mid-Atlantic, and Northwest. And on the world side, it's Australia, the Caribbean, Asia-Pacific, Latin America, Japan, Europe-slash-Africa, Mexico, and Canada. Mm -hmm. And those teams represent are representing their country, and that's something that um, you know they're they're their national champions, which is is really quite unbelievable to be a national champion. And then they're getting into the bracket and they're playing against uh, whatever they might be playing against uh, a, a small town from Japan um, or city from Japan that won their region and won their country, and they're playing just like our teams are representing their region and playing yeah. for the national United States champion. All right, question. Now, but there's there's interesting things because the rules for playing time and things like that are completely different, and it's very hard for the managers to do this stuff. It used to be, as I recall, Little League, you had to play two innings out of a six-inning game. Every kid played two innings of a six-inning game. Yeah, so what, what they've there's different ways depending on how many kids you have on the team. So let's just say you had 12 kids on the team. Each, each player had to play um, two innings and one at bat. These are, again, this last time I coached was about five years ago, All-Stars. Do they have to play everybody in the Little League World Series? So I don't know if the rules change once okay. you get to the Little League World Series, but I would assume that, that the, 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 uh, they stay the same. So you, have, you can have designated runners that kids can get into the game that way. You can have also, with a certain amount of players, they can just have to get one at bat. So when I was putting a team together, I was against, very much against, the only one at bat rule because I, I thought you deserve to be an all-star and we weren't going to win the country. You deserve to be an all-star. I want you to get two innings. So I would always keep that number, that 12 number, instead of 13. So that I was forced to play that child two innings and one at bat. And you had to marry kids together. So, Zabe, you and I were married. We would sub in and out. We couldn't sub for someone else. We only could sub for each other. So yeah. it becomes a math equation, which parents couldn't understand. So I would explain that to them at the beginning of the all-star, and they still would say, um, why did my son only get two innings and one at bat? Oh, like it's a math, it's a math equation. Oh Lord, yeah, yeah. It's that's... all you can get. How are we in terms of age cheating, which became a big issue? Who was the kid, the most famous kid that was yeah. dominant in the little? I'll look it up in just a second. But how are we doing on that front these days? Do you have any idea too, if they've gotten better on that? Yeah, they're completely. It's almost impossible to forge that in this day and age with the computers okay. and all the things that they have at their disposal. It's almost impossible. But the key is like, if you get a kid who pops in terms of his puberty. Totally. At just the right time. And let's say he's got a late birthday in whatever the cutoff cycle is. Correct. There's always that one kid on every great Little League team that looks like a giant. There's certain sports where there's a cutoff. You know, it's not January 1st. So, you know, there's hockey players who have that. It's like all great hockey players are born at a certain time. And almost almost inevitably, there's a lot of baseball players that are born at about the same time. And that's because they were the oldest you could possibly be at their age group in Little League, basically. Yeah. And so I believe it's April something that there's a cutoff. And yes, you get kids who mature faster. You get six foot two, 12-year-olds. Yeah. They're actually 13 at that point, but it's, it's, that's what it takes. Danny Almonte. Yes. That's who yes. it was. From New York. Uh, he was part of the, the team from the Bronx. Yeah. 
and he was born in the Dominican Republic, and people said there's no way this kid is 12. They swore he was. Uh, then they found out that, no, he was actually 14, yeah. which is a <laughs> huge difference. And unfortunately, there was you know a- accusations of racism and cultural bias and rich kids versus poor kids and how dare you. And yep. then there was the whole ruse about, well, you know, we don't have good record keeping in the third world, so it's hard to tell. Everyone said right away, and I forget who, there was another kid, I think from the Far East, that also was over the age mm-hmm. limit, and people were like, no way this kid's real, he can't be 12. Yeah, and you're always going to have those accusations, but it really in this day and age, it's very difficult. Uh, okay. You know, they're 12-year-olds. The, yeah. the, in the last 12 years, we've we've kind of got everything organized. Yeah, Danny Almonte, uh, there was another one, let's see, baseball's greatest scandals, oh, Danny Almonte, he's number six on that. Okay, so... These kids, they got all the mannerisms down. They've got everything. First of all, they've got all the equipment, which we never had as kids. Yeah. The the the, the Oakley sunglasses at one hundred and fifty dollars a pair. Oh. The batting gloves, mm-hmm. the the wristbands and stuff. Believe I me, mean, we- I go through it every year. If I ran through the price of my son's equipment right now, the bat five hundred and forty nine dollars, and it's basically an every year event. What five hundred and forty nine dollars? The glove. $450. What? For the glove. The batting gloves are, you know, reasonable. They're in like $39. You have to have the Oakleys are 250 You have, um, and, and you know what? My son, he deserves it. He works hard for it. He's a good player. He's he's a pretty exceptional player. So he deserves it. But uh, I'm not is, saying they don't deserve it. But I'm saying I'm sort of jealous. I am too. Because I see these kids on ESPN and they're, they're walking around. They're doing all the things that they see on TV from their favorite players. Sure. Bryce Harper and Yasiel Puig and Christian Yelich, and they mimic them. Yep. And and most of it is harmless. Some of it's cool and cute. I saw a kid tip his cap on a great catch in the game the other day. But then sometimes you say to yourself, okay, we don't need to be copying that junior. Of course, and that's what we talk about it on the Capital Golf Gang. We talk about copying mannerisms, and they're adult mannerisms, and they get away with being an adult and in, in these mannerisms, and children should not have some of these mannerisms. We live, psychologists warn us that we live in a world of highlights, and that's all the kids see now because in this day and age, not many of them, believe it or not, are even sitting down and watching a full baseball game. They're just watching highlights on SportsCenter. And those highlights include the bat flipping and the the brawls and the tipping of the hats and the throwing of the gloves and things like that. Right. And they feel that in those situations, that's what that mannerism calls for. And unfortunately, um, if you watch a complete game and you watch a number of complete games, you almost never see that behavior. But in the highlights, they oh. need to fill time. It's a good point about we're living in a highlight society. Not only are we living in a highlight society, but our social media platforms are designed to make you curate only your best moments, only your life highlights, and to push them out for the rest of the world and your friends and family to see. And that's a totally distorted picture because you're not going to write a Facebook post. You might write a Facebook post about got passed over for a promotion today, very discouraged at work, question about how the company is going, what direction it is, feel very low right now. Some people do that stuff, but for the most part, we ignore all the bad stuff or the mundane stuff 
and put forward the yay, look at me stuff. Yeah, and they've done research recently of the social media and the endorphins that they um, push out are almost harmful for some of these kids because they're constantly jacked up with this kind of good, good. You and know, they need it. I got they need this. more of it. They need more and more. I, they're addicted yes. to it. But the problem is, is how do you handle the mundane, the six in literally the six innings of relaxed ball standing and then, around right standing around and how do you handle the the, the bad situations because not only in social media are we pushing out those highlights but they're pushing out the low lights not for themselves right but they the media is pushing it out for others to see and and how do we look at that and how do we handle that so it's it's an interesting thing but it comes down to this save and this is the most important thing that i can stress i think yeah parents parents Stay out of it. Stay. Out. I'm a parent. I'm a parent of a baseball player. Stay and out of what? Stay out of the coaching. Stay out of the pushing. Let your kid come to you. Be open at all times. But shouldn't parents still reinforce, though, they should stay in it when it comes to reinforcing positive behavior? Oh, of course. That's positive your- role modeling, sportsmanship. Sure. Courtesy to your coaches, diligence, practicing, cleaning uh, up afterwards. That's being a parent. Okay. Right, that's the same right. as cleaning up so your you're plate. Saying, right, when you're saying stay out of it, you don't mean be an absentee parent where you're like dropping your kid off in practice and no. leaving. No, but well, know your role, stay in your lane. Yeah, what I'm saying is let the let the coaches do what they're going to do as they get to the higher levels. Right, there's no question. I'm still guilty of of second guessing people who coach my own son, but I've tried harder to stay. I'm not going to write an email or anything. I'm not going to approach the coach. It's just the way it is. And the reason being is as they get older, this is what their life's going to be. They're going to have a boss and that boss is going to make decisions and they're going to have to go with it. And they're going to have to change that road in some way in life, just like they're going to have to do in that sport. So daddy ball (laughs) is best to stay out of as long as possible. I'll never forget the one year that I coached little league right out of college. And I was young and totally immature and, it's me and my buddies, Stephen Giannopoulos and Todd Davenport, and we had a team. And, you know, we were having fun doing it, and we were okay. We had a few players. But we ended up playing a team from, I guess, a different organization. I don't know what tournament this was, but it was like it was sort of like a one-off Wildcat game at a different field we never played before. This team was like a fucking machine. <laughs> they went through us like shit through a tin horn. They were unbelievable in making plays, hitting everything else. And what really blew me away, and this was the most amazing thing, when they got to the field and when the game was over, they went at unpacking and packing the equipment and setting up the dugout like the red fucking army. It was just everyone doing this. Meanwhile, our team, it was a bunch of lollygagging and slap-assing as most of the coaches were there. Hey, where'd the bats go? Get these over here and whatever. And it was at that point I realized if I were to ever coach Little League again, I would spend the entire first practice, probably two-plus hours, doing nothing but breaking down the bat bag and the equipment, setting up the dugout, packing it up again to the point of boredom and tedium so that their kids would go home and tell their mom and dad, well, we, we, we didn't do anything today other than unpack the bat bag and uh, put it back together. Yeah. And the parents would probably go, what the hell is this all about? And I'd say, trust me. Yeah. It's part of the process so that these kids know we're here to play baseball. We're here to play it the right way. We're not going to grab ass. Get your shit in order and let's go. 
you would have gotten 12 emails <laughs> after the first practice. And two of the parents would have said... Would have demanded I be fired <laughs> thank by you. the league itself, right? Thank you. My son or daughter is very messy at home, and I think you're teaching him some life lessons. And the other ones would say, you're insane. Right. L- I want ground balls. <laughs> I wanted finer points. I wanted an hour of BP. You're teaching today. him how to hang it on the exact hook every single time. I totally agree with you. You know, routine is important. Routine is important for everything. If we go to the lowest, not the lowest level, but our pets, routine is important and um, they can learn more from that. Routine's important for kids to get to class at the exact time and to know what their schedule is going to be. And routine's important in sports. So right. I-, I commend you on that. One thing, real. <laughs> one last thing, real quick on little league, and then I got a thought about major league baseball, and then we'll end it today. So there's this clip I'm showing you right now. Some little leaguer thinking he's cute goes up to the plate and does the crouch stance, where literally his elbows are beneath his knees. Yep. As he sways back and forth as if to say, it's like a frog stance, basically. It's like he's saying, ha ha, I have no strike zone. You can't strike me out. Of course, the rule is still that even if you're crouched down, the umpire will call a strike based on a typical knees to armpits is the rule. What's a count there? Strike zone. Uh, Let me see up in the left corner. Does it say I can't see it? Okay. Because it, someone said on Twitter that this little kid should have been drilled. Yeah, I mean that's a little over the top. We don't want to teach kids. We don't want to, to teach. Hit right. We don't want to kids. teach. Yeah. We don't want anyone I mean, beating anybody at the little league I level. I agree with but them. If but ever <laughs> there was a kid, look at that little piece of shit. Right I know. There. I know. How about the coach? I How about saw the that. coach who allows the kid to do that? Stand up, take your hacks like a young man, and stop being a little prick. Okay, I'm with you, but I do have a saying that. Uh, when my son is, is a three zero count, I say, get ugly. And get ugly would be something like waggling my bat or standing a little weird, and it's a distraction because so you're not swinging anyways. Get ugly. Yeah. Wow. Get okay. ugly, Tommy. I say that all the time, and it's just kind of a waggle the bat or just stand straight up or whatever because he's got to take. Coach is telling him to take. If he swings a bat, he's getting benched immediately. So right. I say, get ugly. All right, over the weekend, there was uh... – a Nats-Brewers game for the ages. Uh, ended up being 15-14 in 14 innings. The Brewers win dagger fashion. The Nats had an 11-8 lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning after an amazing comeback of their own in the eighth inning. And here's Sean Doolittle, the Nats' closer, to come in and, I mean, how hard is this? It's a, it's a three-run lead. Just close it out. He gives up home run, double, home run, home run. Yeah. Oh, my fucking god and it's all because what john ronas velocity velocity his his velocity is down about what two it's two basically two to three miles an hour from the beginning of the year and that in baseball he's currently sitting in the low 90s 91 90 90, 91 90 91 when doolittle had been a 94 95 guy yeah kind of 93 94 and he's got one pitch basically which is fastball but he locates it he locates it up as his out pitch and he's been a great closer correct but you're saying now it's over for the year it's over it is over for the year and the, the there's, it's very rare that a starter, I'm sorry, that a closer that starts a season for a team is a closer that ends a season for the team. And part of it's because the workload is usually pretty great at the beginning of the year. And eventually these guys get overtaxed. Don't forget, closers 
oftentimes are pitching multiple days in a row. And they also don't have the routine of warm-up time and things like that. But the difference is, if that velocity over time goes down two miles an hour, the movement of that ball is a half an inch to maybe an inch difference. And the difference in an inch on a baseball bat is dramatic. Right. So all of a sudden, someone like Doolittle, who's a fastball guy with some movement and location, he doesn't throw, he probably is in the less than 15% of a non-fastball. He's just getting teed off on. And that's a, he's had, in his last three or four outings, he's had two like that. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's I hate to say it, it's over. I love the Nats. I know, but you're, I, I can't disagree with you because this is not a flaw that a pitching coach can unwrinkle. This is not a tip of drop your elbow or stride a little bit shorter. This is literal horsepower that has leaked out of his arm over the course of a season that is not going to get better from now until the end of the year. It is not going to get better. That is exactly right. There's no, oh, I'm just going to take a week off or I'm going to do this. And he can't turn himself into Greg Maddox overnight going, well, I'm going to change what I am. I'm going to be a location dink and dunk, nip and nab guy. That He is who he is. And now that that must be, as I I watch the game on Saturday night, I'm like, can you imagine how Doolittle feels? He must feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah, and especially Doolittle because he is the savior of that what has been through the year a terrible bullpen their eras are i looked at their eras this morning actually it was yeah. like four o'clock this morning because i want to see the end of the game and <laughs> i'm looking at eras and doolittle's now 4.63 and that's not good for a closer but i was looking at sixes and sevens for for middle inning guys and closers that is historically one Bad. of the worst ever right. and it's something that doolittle was that only anchor that they had and yeah. now I'm afraid that, that it's going to be a long end of season. But I still have great hope. And you know what? You look across the way at the Brewers with Hader. Hader now gets ripped. Guys are now ripping the tits off of Hader fastballs when they used to not be able to touch his shit. Yeah. And it's also because of a little bit of more use. And he's, he's younger than Doolittle. He probably has more electric stuff than Doolittle. In fact, I know he does. But just shaving a little bit off of what Hader had before has made him mortal. Yes. Still really good, but mortal. And, you know, the other thing is these guys are also throwing a lot of strikes. So these batters are going up there, and they're not throwing many balls outside the strike zone because it's a lot of location fastballs. Well, you all see that it takes more out of your arm, too, if you're going deeper in the count. Of you're, course. So you, it's better to throw strikes if you've thrown a lot of innings. Correct. So they, they're up there ready to hit. Yeah. And uh, fastball with just a little bit less movement, these guys are way too good at hitters. They are freaks of the freaks, these they hitters. Are, they are freaks. They're and freaks. and they're just teeing off on it. And it's it, you, you're going to see it. And that's why closers, the Mariana Rivera's of the world, are just not out there anymore. You get a two-year cycle, and then you're pretty much done. All right, uh, next time you visit, we'll do songs that are awesome, uh, a repeat of what we did last time we visited. Yep. Uh, somebody sent me an email pointing out that I totally botched the whole Bill Conti going the distance song that I said was my song that's awesome because I said I could see the training montage in the movie in my mind as I listened to the song. No, 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 going the distance was the title of the song because 
it was purposely played over the fight itself yeah. where Rocky went the distance against Clubber Lang, and that represented his own victory because nobody had ever done that before. Yeah. Hence the title of the song going Was it Apollo distance. Creed or Clubber Lang? We don't want any it more. It might have been Apollo Creed. We don't want... Well, It listen, was Apollo Creed, as a Zabe, matter of fact. I'm going to tell you again. I told you I taped it on a cassette tape from the TV, that, monta- that, that song, when Rocky II was on TV. In oh, you did? Whatever. Oh, yeah. It was okay. on a cassette tape that I used to listen to all the time. Well, I turned on Rocky II again the other night just to it. verify. There it is. It's when Adrian's in the hospital. She says, one thing I want you to do, and that's win. And those bells start coming in. I got goosebumps right now. And that's where <laughs> it's right. so good. Well, uh, we'll do uh, another edition of Songs That Rock next time we visit. Mr. Ronas, I'll talk to you later, brother. Thanks. I'll end on this today. Every now and then, you got to look at a story and say, wait, what? Do laws not matter in our country? And let's also chalk this up for, hey, NFL player and NFL player of color gets a bit of a break. For every time that the man and the system is wearing down on players and they're complaining about it, let's just put this one in the... As uh, Joe Angel would say, put this one in the win column. Dateline Davy, Florida. Miami Dolphins running back Mark Walton received six months of non-reporting probation on Monday as part of a plea deal to resolve his, count them, one, two, three off-season court cases. First of all, non-reporting probation. My first thought was, right, it, it sounds like not probation. <laughs> that if you're on probation, you should have to check in with a probate. Okay, so I guess non-reporting probation would be, hey, just don't fuck up. Don't let us catch you fucking up again, and you're good. I'm assuming that's what it is. Walton's attorney, Michael Gottlieb, said his client had the most significant charge of felony carrying a concealed weapon from his March arrest reduced to a second-degree misdemeanor open carry charge after pleading no contest. Again, I understand how our legal system works. It's like, we're going to hit you with murder, but I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, but that's what we're going to stick with, and maybe we'll maybe we'll chisel you down to a lesser lesser deal. Either you were carrying a concealed weapon or you weren't, right? I don't know. Misdemeanor open carry charge. Pled no contest. Okay, I had a gun. Didn't have a permit to carry the gun. And this is, again, these are the stories, remember. This is why I, like a lot of others, say, so more gun laws, huh? And that's going to stop people who are criminals how exactly? So already he's he's got a gun charge. Okay, that was pled down. Walton was arrested after a car chase with police. Well, that's bad, Zabe. I know. Car chases often end in crashes. Innocent victims getting plowed into. Dangerous. Running from the police. You can run from Smokey, but you cannot outrun the bear in the air. You can't outrun the radio. (laughs) The plea deal decreased the maximum amount of his jail sentence from five years to 60 days. So from five years to 60 days. Oh, did I mention the third thing? Gun, speeding, evading, uh, resisting arrest. Um, <laughs> marijuana, of course. Now look, 
Marijuana is becoming legalized in just about every state. I understand where the trend is going, but, you know, it still is against the law. He had a misdemeanor marijuana charge also dismissed in the same March incident. Walton had a drug charge from January and a battery charge from a February incident. All those dismissed. He will have to attend driving school, though, after the reckless driving plea bargain. This marks an end to the legal portion of a chaotic offseason for Walton in which he was arrested three times in three months. He can now start to fully turn his focus to football again. Well, thank God for that, Cameron Wolf, writer for ESPN.com. He is set to face no jail time as long as he avoids trouble during his probation period. Well, well, well. The man is keeping us down. Not not Mark Walton, that's for sure. Martin was not at Dolphins practice on Monday during the media viewing period. The Dolphins signed Walton, a local star from... Wait a minute. You want to guess? Did a One guess. Oh, you guessed the U. How'd you do it? They did this in May after the Bengals released him following his series of arrests. Let me repeat. The Bengals said, Whoa, this guy's too much of a criminal for us. You can have him. The Dolphins and new coach Brian Flores said, We'll take him. Flores saying, quote, People deserve a second chance. Technically, this would be his fourth, if I'm counting correctly. Arrested one, two, three times. Some pretty serious things, you know. Driving away from, a, you know, leading cops on a high-speed chase. Gun charge. The marijuana fine. Battery, though, that's bad. A lot of stuff. Though Walton's legal case is over, he could still face league discipline from the NFL's personal conduct policy that could lead to a suspension and or a fine. Well, I would freaking hope so. Why am I saying freaking? I would fucking hope so. Roger Goodell, call your office. The thing is, nobody knows who this guy is. Maybe Charch knows who he is. Uh, Yeah, no, he's a good third back for them. He could pop. Uh, I'd put him as a handcuff in your deeper 14 to 16 team leagues. That's a very bad charge. I apologize. So put one in the win column for a guy who clearly has been a one-man crime wave, and yet he will pay virtually... No consequence for it. That'll be it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Don't forget ZabeCast app. Please rate and review this podcast. It's It helps. It's so dumb, but it helps. The algorithm knows all. So let's gin that algorithm up so it becomes even more popular. Right? Thank you for your time. Have a great Tuesday, everybody, and we will see you next time. Put your car on cruise and lay back because it's summertime.